Let's pray. Grant us, O Lord, we pray, the Spirit to think and do always those things that are right, that we who can do no good thing apart from you may by you be enabled to live according to your will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Well, is it, is it just me, or does time seem like it just flies by? Does it seem that way for you at all? And maybe it has something to do with my age and my perspective. I've been here a long time, so therefore a day is very short in relative perspective of my life. But it does seem to me like days are flying by like minutes, and the, and the weeks go by like days. And then the thing that I also think is that maybe it's not just my age, because everybody that I run into, no matter their age, seems like life is at the, a very fast pace for just everybody. So um, when we're working, we're anxious for the weekend. So the week buzzes along, and then finally, like Friday's here. You know, it's finally Friday. That's a good thing. And we're looking, looking forward to that weekend so that we can rest. But so my question for us is, do we work to rest, or do we work from rest? And I, I, and I think this is more than a um, practical life application question. Um, I think this, in, in spiritual things, I think we innately want to reverse the proper order as opposed to working from rest. We want to work to rest. So we want to earn God's favor. So we want to work to earn God's favor. So that this is, I'm, I'm thinking of, of rest and what he brings when he brings us into the kingdom and kind of like at a big uh, 30,000 kind of view for this scripture we're going to go through. And this scripture, I think we could preach on probably, I think I could at least do six times. You know, this, would be a, this would be a good one for our season of uh, Lent at some point. The same, the same passage could be preached in multiple ways and there are multiple things to be taken out of it and there are multiple things to dig into. And it is one of my favorite passages. Um, but we're, we're going to take this concept of rest and look at this passage through that lens. We began our, our, uh, the series going through the book of Ephesians a few weeks ago. And we're calling that the death of our divisions. And so for our, our broken and divided world, I think this is uh, where, wherever we would turn in God's word, it would be food for our souls. I think this is a particular good timing for us to be in this book for that reason, that in a divided world, we're going to learn about the death of our divisions. And that happens to be through what God is doing in Christ as he calls a people to himself and is making a new society here in the fallen world. And so in this new society, he gives us new life. He gives us, um, he, 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 he creates this new society out of the new life that he's given us. Then he gives us new standards and he gives us new relationships. And so in a sense, those are the headings that we're going to be looking at the whole book of Ephesians. This, um, this new life does indeed give us rest. And we enter this rest only through Christ. And it's Christ who restores our rest. In Hebrews 4, 9 and 10, it says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest 
has also rested from his works as God did from his. So this thing of resting from works is what, that's what I want to try to flush out with this passage. Because this Sabbath rest that he's speaking of out of this writer of Hebrews, it's, it's a deep, this is a deep rest. It's a rest that brings peace and comfort despite our circumstances. So the world may be going crazy. Our lives may be tumbling downward. But this rest that he brings us, it, it provides a, a significant anchor in troubled times. This rest that, this, that Jesus restores is the rest that was lost in the fall from Genesis 3. So this, this reconciliation with God, where at the fall it was separated, and so man has been separated since and trying to like find a way back through all kinds of means and, and to no avail, of course. So we know that to make it in the world, we are evaluated by our performance. And, it, and this happens in our relationships. It happens everywhere. And if we do good, if, if I do good for you, you'll like me more. This is, this is the way we understand how this works. So our propensity is to try to work to earn God's favor. Because it's, it's how the rest of life works everywhere else. And so we want to work to gain his favor. And then once we've received his favor and we have been saved, if you will, then we want to work to keep his favor. Well, this passage is going to, like, turn those thoughts upside down for us. Because, though this is the way that it works everywhere else in the world that we are evaluated by our performance and appreciated and accepted by our performance. This nature of God's grace is radically different. It is counterintuitive, one might say. So I think in this passage, what we're going to see is this rest that can only be found in Jesus prepares the Christian for work which has eternal significance. So it's not as if there is no work at all, but we've got to get the work in the right place in relation to faith. So we're going to first look at working to rest. So we're working to find this rest and how he describes that. So if you will, let's look in, uh, we're in chapter 2, begin, we're going to begin with verse 1. So if you will, let's look together. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, Following the course of this world, following the prince and power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Do you remember our first lesson our first lesson in Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 1 says that Paul is writing this letter to the saints, those holy ones, those who have heard this gospel message, have repented and been brought into this new society, into the kingdom, and they have left their old ways of life and are now living for him. 
this is who he is writing to. And so he's not, when, sometimes when we read these things, we're thinking, well, he's writing to a bunch of bad people if he's, if he's saying that you were children of wrath. Okay, he's, t- he's writing to the saints. And then he's saying, remember who you once were. You were dead in your sins and your trespasses. So, I think what he's, as he's in those, just those few verses, he's describing this desire to find rest. So, we all desire this rest. And that uh, St. Augustine's... Um, Quote that our hearts are restless until they find rest in in thee or in you, O Lord. Um, so there's this restlessness, and we're looking for rest. We're looking for fulfillment. We're looking for peace. We're looking for security. We're looking simply for human flourishing. But the prince and power of the air, the evil one, has many things that he holds out to us for us to grab hold of, hoping to find rest in these things. He holds them out and makes them very attractive, and we will commit large amounts of our lives to pursuing these things, which do not lead to rest. This rest becomes elusive. We don't find it. We continue to look. He describes, Paul describes the unbeliever as one who carried out the desires of the body and the mind. Well, they were sensuous people. They operated by their senses, by what felt good. I don't think these are people of biblical times. I think they're people of us today. Because I think this describes us, the, the world in which we live, which says, if it feels good, do it. Because really, that's all you have to go by. So, as I was a kid, that wasn't the case. You weren't just allowed, that was just not the case. You just couldn't do whatever you wanted to do. There was, the, there was something called a right, and there was something called a wrong. And we had these norms that, like, I may not know you, you may live two streets over, but we could compare notes, and we would come very close to the same things. Well, that's, the world's changing today. I was visiting with a friend of mine, and he talked about how he had a training uh, for, the, for the bosses in his organization. I said, so was this a sensitivity training? He said, yes. So now it's like everything's okay. There is no right. There is no wrong. So just whatever you want to do, you do it. And I just, I, the, the, the extent to which that goes has, and, and the pace in which it has increased has boggled my little mind. So I think, but I think this is where we are. If it feels good, you do it. After all, you are a God unto yourself. You're responsible to nobody else. You, you are what matters. And as long as you are living by your truth, you're good to go. And if this is not the message of our day, if this is not what the things that we watch, the things that we listen to, etc., if this is not what's being taught, I want you to come talk to me. After, Well, whatever, you could hold up your hand and we could talk about it right now. Because I, I wish this weren't true. But it is. But the problem with that is, is it feeds, we then feed on ourselves. But the reality is we're not unique. The people that Paul's writing to 2,000 years ago, they got the same issue. They're all concerned about themselves. And if it felt good, let's do it. And there's no real guiding conscience above themselves that they're consulting. 
Paul says in verse 2, he says, you were following the ways of the world. In verse 3, he says, you were by nature children of wrath. But then he says, like the rest of mankind. What about those good, decent, moral people? You know, the nice ones. A friend of mine used to say, when you would talk about the good moral people, he said his mother would say, you mean like those who killed Jesus? The ones who hung him on the cross? Those good moral people? You see, I, and I, this hits so close to, this was me. I was a good moral person. Melanie's not here today, but she testifies when I say that. She'll, she'll nod her head and sometimes give me an amen. Because we grew up in the same neighborhood. We went to the same church as kids. Our parents knew each other, etc., she, uh, my mother was a school teacher. We, people in my little world knew who I was and who I belonged to, and I kind of had to toe the line, or I would hear about it. And so I, I, I you know, I'm, I had plenty of trouble, and I was plenty ornery, and she'll tell you that too. But for the most part, I had to kind of toe the line because that was what was expected out of me. Well, but I was a good person. Like if you were, if you were broke down, if you were had a problem, I'd stop and help you. I may not know you from Adam, but I, I was that good person. Therefore, I had a problem recognizing my sin before a holy God. Because I didn't recognize God as holy. And after all, I wasn't that bad. So if I can bring him down and I can bring me up, I just need an itty-bitty Jesus. Itty-bitty Jesus. When we have a right perspective of who he is and his holiness, we will see how far separated we are and the fact that there is no good moral people. There are no good moral people. Like, like Paul, what he's saying, this is God's word. And he says, you were an enemy of God. And if you're not in faith, if you have not yet come to faith in Christ, you are an enemy of God. But if you're here and you're hearing this, then I have great confidence that the Lord is working in you because he wants to rescue you. So he's brought you to a place where you hear this truth. If it weren't for God, we go through the rest of life being driven by self-interest, always seeking this elusive rest. So we work to find rest in the wrong things, in the wrong people, in the wrong stuff. And coming from a good person, that can be even good stuff. It's just still wrong. It's not the right stuff. It could be good as opposed to bad. still wrong. So if God enters our mind at all, we justify ourselves and recount how many good works we've done. Not popular today, but used to be so that like somebody almost, I call it shirt collar grabbers. Grab your shirt. If you died tonight, do you know where you'd spend eternity? Well, I knew those right answers. How would you answer this question? And then why would you answer it that way? I would say, you know, surely the Lord is going to be pleased with me because I've done this many good things. The problem, though, is a spiritual 
problem that developed during the fall in Genesis 3 when God cursed mankind. And then there's this separation between us. Verse 1 says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Paul is saying that your problem is not something that needs a little tweaking. You're a good person. If you could just have a few lessons to be a better person, you'd be okay. That's not what Paul's saying. I fear too many in the church today think that we are good people coming to church to get better. No, we're, we're sinners in need of grace. That's why you can't bar me from getting in. I need to hear the message of the gospel regularly. I need to receive the sacraments. I need to understand that I am accepted and received by him because I'll forget. By the time I see you next, I will have forgotten. I need to be reminded. It's how we are. It's who we are. We're spiritually dead prior to Christ, and we need life. What is interesting about this is those who are still in need don't recognize they have a need. They are pursuing this elusive rest with a passion. But if it's the wrong thing, it doesn't have to be bad, but if it's not the right thing, if it's not in Christ alone, that rest will continue to be elusive. And so we come to the fact that God restores our rest through the resurrection of Christ. Look with me in verse 4. This verse 4, it says, but God. Now, we, we, we were in the Old Testament not long ago, and we had a passage, and it said, but God. Now, like virtually any time if you see a but God, you know the gospel's coming. And here he says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. So Paul is saying that since you figured out that you were bad and you recognized that you were separated from this holy God, he says, clean yourself up and make yourself right. Is that what he's saying? No. However, I think this is what the average person believes. I think that's what the average person believes about church. I've run into all kinds of people who say, well, I couldn't come to church. The place would fall down on me. They can't imagine making themselves right before God. Well, this is good news. Because what this says is you don't have to make yourself right. What's better news is you can't make yourself right. So us who are good people, we need to hear this piece. Like if you're a bad person and you know you're a bad person, take comfort. You can't make yourself right. For us who are good people, we need to hear this, that you can't make yourself right. You're not good enough. You know, I, I could find my neighbors and my friends who I could compare myself to, and I'm better than them. Isn't that what we do? Am I, or am I just totally unique? We all know I'm not unique about anything. Now, this is what we do. 
We compare to other people and we say, well, I'm not that bad. Well, compared to a holy God, you are that bad. But thanks be to God. It's when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he, he made us alive together with Christ. Thanks be to God. Grace, by its very definition, is something that can't be earned. It is unmerited favor. The text says in verse 5, it says, Even when we were dead, that, Christ, that he made us alive together with Christ. This is mercy. You see, God didn't wait. God didn't wait until we improved ourselves. It was even while we were dead. Dead people can't make themselves alive. Dead, spiritually, spiritually dead people can't make themselves alive. We can't reach out of the grave and make ourselves well by pulling up on some saving rope that's coming by. God doesn't wait. This is mercy. He reaches down. He's not waiting for us to reach up. He reaches down while we're dead in the grave and makes us alive in Christ. Because he loved us. And he gave himself up for us. So our hearts are turned then to him. We talked a couple of weeks ago. Some of you were missing that week and you should have been here because we discussed predestination election and we figured it all out, had all the right answers. Did we tell you that last week? We meant to taunt you because I thought this would be the kind thing to do. I wanted to taunt you uh, as you showed up last week. That we, okay, we got that figured out. But in the, while we were talking about that, one of the things that we find bitter about that doctrine is, what about my choice? Don't tell me I didn't choose. I know I chose. Somehow God turns our hearts. Did we choose Christ? Now, you know, Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I know this sounds bad, but I'm going to say, yes, we chose Christ. But why? Well, because what he says is still true. He chose us. And thanks be to God. And why? There was nothing in us. This is amazing grace. Do you, if you're built like me, you're thinking, boy, sometimes you're like, well, he's lucky to have me on his team. Look what I can do for him. That's kind of how we're wired. And sometimes it's the way the church teaches us. What the Bible says is there's nothing in you that made you worthy of saving. It was because of his generous grace. That he reaches down in the grave while you were dead and makes us alive together with Christ. This is not really about you as much as it is about the magnificent work of this holy God who's making much of himself. Look at what he does. So we come to verse 8. This beautiful verse, and this is a memory verse. You should do 8 and 9. If you don't want to memorize any other verse, you should memorize this one. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not as a result of works. So that no one may boast. Again, this can be offensive to us self-capable, self-motivated, self-driven, self-made kind of people. Us good people. 
Because I want to take credit for at least a portion. Sometimes that's where it, that might be the root of why I say I want, to, I want to be recognized for me choosing him. We've got to get that out of our heads. So when you have worked and worked and worked to make yourself right with God, that you've, you've been trying to earn your own righteousness, that leads you to death and still no rest. So that's why church people also need to hear this true gospel, is because it turns us from our works righteousness to say, oh, this is a gift. So that once we've made this right choice of choosing Jesus, what Paul is saying, you can't even take credit for that. It wasn't our good thinking. It wasn't your good actions. It wasn't this gift that you have that could be used for the church. It was only by his grace. This is an appropriate place to be reminded that we think, as we think on this passage, we think on grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, who was revealed to us in the scriptures alone. Why? For the glory of God alone. Those alone, sola, the five solas of the Reformation. This is where our Protestant faith began as the recovery of the gospel on these principles. So the reality is, is you do not enter God's rest by your work. You enter by faith alone. So the next thing we see is we're working from rest. So verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So once we have surrendered and we quit trying to prove how good we are as good people, or if we're the bad people, those are our you know, cultural terms. If you're the bad person, you know you're bad. There still needs to be a surrender to say his ways are better than mine. I have been pursuing a rest that has been elusive, and I've tried in different things, and it's only led to death. But at some point, once we surrender, and we quit quit trying to prove or earn our own righteousness, we trust in Christ's work to make us right with God. And it's then that he can use us for his work in his kingdom. So we don't enter this retirement rest. There's that, there's that, I mean, like throughout all of our life, we're just kind of conditioned to work and then rest. We're to work so that one day we can retire, and when we retire, we get to do what we want to do when we want to do it. This is not that kind of thing. It does not bring us a retirement rest. We bring re- it brings rest from our works and our working to earn our righteousness before this holy God because of what Jesus has done. And, why, and then accepting this gift that cannot be earned, it's a gift, that we receive it by grace through faith, and we say, okay, I get you, I actually believe you, I believe your word, and I believe you're good. And when we do that, 
then we're not entering a retirement rest. We're, okay, we've done that. Now we don't do anything else. Too frequently in the church, there's a thing we do, an altar call. I, I preach an inspiring message, and I say, who wants to be saved today? Come forward, and boom, well, let's even baptize you. And then maybe you leave, and you never see the church again, and we never see you again. Well, I'm here to tell you this is the wrong view of Christianity. It's the wrong view of salvation. This view says you are to be a part of the body. You're part of this new society. And in it, somehow, you're going to do something for the kingdom. What if I have no gifts? Well, God says you have gifts. the, The worship this morning, I thought it was just beautiful. They're both whining and complaining because their voices are bad or whatever. It was beautiful. And you led us into worship. Well, I don't have the gifts that either one of them do. That doesn't mean I don't have any gifts. And the Lord gives us gifts, and then we're to do. And, I, and then it's whatever you do. You do it to the glory of God. But we are workers then in his kingdom. But we're workers from this position of rest. Because of what God has done in you through Christ, by the Holy Spirit, making you alive with him, then our lives are filled with gratitude. And the idea is really like, how could I ever do enough? So we then have the privilege, we have the privilege of receiving this gift, that gift of grace. Then we have the privilege of receiving grace upon grace so that we can participate in his kingdom and be his hands and feet so that we can share this good news with others. So that we can serve those who are hurt and downtrodden, those who need inspired, those who are needing a message of hope, then we get to be a part of that. So those are the works that he has prepared beforehand. And so the idea that we just, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior, but I'm done, that doesn't work. It's not there. This says if you are in Christ, you will do something. So we don't work to rest, but we rest in him and work out of gratitude from which this grace has given us. His grace brings this rhythm to our life, which gives us a foretaste of heaven. And and we find rest each time we come to worship. And our rest is renewed and it prepares us, as our bulletin will say, and as we as we get near the end of our service and we pray it every week about we ask the Lord to send us out into the world to do the work you've given us to do. That's what our worship does. And so we have this worship. We have a rest, worship, rest, work kind of rhythm that goes on. And we do that and we, and we gladly, willingly take part in that. If I have to be coaxed to come participate then I might need to ask myself, what is it that I love? When we love him, we want to worship him. Even, and it's even one of those things where, like, okay, everybody can't like everything all the time. There are things that we do because we know we need to do it. So there are things that we do because there's duty. That thing called duty, that thing called responsibility. If you're part of the family, you I don't know how it is in your family. In my family, you just didn't get to just be a part of the family. You actually had responsibilities. You had responsibilities to the family. You had to treat each other with respect and care. Then you had things to do. That's the way it is in the family of God as well. So 
we want to recognize that and work, but not earning a righteousness before God, but out of gratitude from what he has done. So we want to work from our rest. So, people of God, find your rest in Christ alone. Then work with gratitude to bring honor and glory to the one who loved you and gave himself up for you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.